Got rappers in the house of God up in here. Now the preacher that was representing me, he had a goatee, but the brother was bald. <laughs> but we'll accept that. <laughs> Amen. Well, babe, I'm proud of you. Good job, good work. And uh, I see how hard you work. People may think that it's easy to write for children, but it's not. You have to really simplify, simplify, simplify. I know how many words you start out with, and then they start telling you you got to whittle those words down and without losing the spirit and the content of what you're trying to communicate. You got to work with you know, editors and folks that you don't really have a relationship with, but you guys form a relationship in the process, and uh, it's a lot of waiting, and then the illustrations you have to review. I mean, it's a lot of work. And so, again, I'm, I'm proud of you. Uh, wow. And y'all, you know, she won't talk about it, but, you know, God is blessing her uh, with opportunities. Um, I, I guess I can't give it all away right now. There, there are things coming. She's saying, wait. I'm, I'm the blabbermouth, but there are things coming, uh, not only from InterVarsity Press, but from other channels as well. And so we're just grateful that God is choosing to um, expand your territory, to uh, amplify your voice and your impact. And you write books for children that adults need too. <laughs> the world needs that book. Amen. Amen. Yes. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I hope you don't mind line upon line, exegesis and exposition of scripture. Um, if you do have a problem with it, that's too bad because that's how we teach here. Whether we're teaching through a book or we're teaching a passage or a topic, all of our speakers are admonished and encouraged to uh, speak the words of God. First in their original context as best we can understand and then from there we bring application to where we live because God's word is inexhaustible, it is eternal, it is something he has magnified above his name according to the psalmist. He stands on his word, he keeps his word and so his word is a big deal and so when the word goes forth today it's our prayer that God would bring healing in our hearts, in our lives, because again, this book is supernatural. Um, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It has life in it. It's a living book. We don't worship the book. We worship the God who gave us this book, and we speak it in his name. So let me pray and ask him for some help right now. Father God, have your way. Thank you, Lord, that we got to be reminded of your love this morning to just sing about how you love us. Thank you, God. And thank you, Lord, that we got to see the children this morning to remind us, again, what the kingdom of God is about because you said that unless we become like children, we can't enter nor understand the kingdom of God. We make things so complicated sometimes. And Lord, you speak in the simple. You speak even in the mundane. You speak uh, in time and space, wherever we are. You don't have to wait for Sunday to speak or through a preacher to speak. But Lord, the heavens declare your glory. Every time we see a sunset, every time we see clouds, the sun, a rainbow, 
even rain, snow, the seasons. We see the handiwork of you, almighty God. We got to see you today through the elements of the bread and the wine to worship you and to remember you through communion. Because God, it is all about you. It's all about your son. And Holy Spirit, thank you for keeping us on track because you came that we might see the son. Uh, you glorify Jesus because we're so quick to turn and, be, and go astray. We're so quick to look at other things. But thank you, Holy Spirit, for keeping us right where we need to be, especially when we get off track. So Lord, um, help me teach and preach your word. Help us to leave here spiritually fed today. Lord, that means we're going to be encouraged, admonished, maybe even warned. All those things that we need to be the sheep that you've called us to be. The sheep of your pasture. We know your voice. Father, in Jesus' name, may people hear your voice through my voice this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't get to watch movies as much as I used to. And I don't even get to go to theaters as much as I used to. I'm just busier now. I fooled around and went to the movie on Friday night, though, with my family. And we watched that movie, The Eternals. Uh, I don't know about woo-woo. Uh, <laughs> Brother Russell, I know why they call it The Eternals, because that movie lasted for an eternity, I tell you. <laughs> It was about four and a half hours long. Then my kids wanted to stay around and see all three end scenes, the credits. <laughs> I fell asleep, no lie, about four times in the movie. But because I'm cheap, I'm like, I got to get my money's worth to wake up, you know, smacking myself, I'm eating sunflower seeds, anything to just stay awake <laughs> and watch this movie. But, but, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't go see it. You know, you, you may enjoy it. You and Russell might be the only people in the world. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just, uh, but no, no, no. Yeah. Movies, movies. And, and I'm the kind of person that when I see movies, I'm looking for redemptive themes in movies, okay? I'm always looking for the Christ figure. I'm always looking for how the gospel is playing out in a movie, whereby good conquers evil, whereby people are saved and delivered. Uh, I'm always looking for those elements in a movie because many times there's so much junk you've got to wade through in order to get to those kind of redemptive uh, qualities that encourage your soul so that when you leave a theater, at least you can say, you know, I, I took something away from the message or from the movie. Well, uh, there was a movie that when I was coming up as a boy um, that really had a lot of redemptive messages in it. And I'm talking about the Rocky series, the Rocky series. Rocky three is probably arguably one of the greatest movies ever made with Clubber Lang played by Mr. T. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> the millennials are like, what Rocky? Who, what is the Adrian? Uh, <laughs> but Rocky four, Rocky four. Um, I think he went on to make how many, 40 of those movies? But Rocky IV, <laughs> there's this exhibition match in the movie Rocky IV, and it's between Apollo Creed and Ivan Drago. It's an ex exhibition match. Apollo Creed had retired, and so he had come out of boxing to do this exhibition match, and he's fighting this 
Russian man who's tall and strong and very, very powerful. Well, in the fight, the Russian is fighting for real. Whereas Apollo Creed is trying to style and profile for the cameras, the Russian is going in for real. And he ends up beating Apollo Creed to a pulp. Anybody remember that movie? Rocky IV, he beats him, he pulverizes Apollo Creed. And he's beating him so bad that Apollo Creed's wife is in the audience and she's like standing up saying, stop the fight. Stop the fight. And so Rocky, who is Apollo Creed's trainer, he's in the corner and he grabs the white towel. Because in boxing, if you throw the white towel out, that means that you yield or you surrender or you quit. And so he's about to throw the towel into the ring because he's the corner man. He's the manager. And Apollo, Apollos, uh, he looks over at Rocky and he says, no, don't throw the towel. And that ended up being a mistake because he was killed in the ring because of that. Again, throwing in the towel means I give up. Throwing in the towel means I surrender. I yield I quit, but Apollos did not want the towel thrown. Well, Timothy found himself in a fight. This young preacher found himself in a fight, and it was a good fight, but he was taking in too many shots. He was getting beat. He was getting hit from so many different directions. As a young man overseeing a nucleus of churches in the town of Ephesus, this young man that Paul put in place to lead those churches, he was taking a whole lot of shots from people under his authority. He was taking shots from unbelievers, but above all, he was taking shots from the enemy. And so while he's struggling in the ring, in this good fight, he looks over to the coach in his corner, the apostle Paul, and he is begging Paul Throw in the towel for me. Throw in the towel. I give up. I'm tired. I'm weary. I can't take much more of this. But instead of throwing in the towel, Paul threw in some words of encouragement and admonishment for his young disciple. In other words, I'm not going to let you quit on God. I'm not going to let you quit on yourself. I'm not going to let you quit on me. I'm not going to let you quit on the people that you are called to serve and lead. I'm not throwing in the towel, Timothy. So Timothy, he was in a difficult, difficult season. He was tempted to give up to the point where his gift needed to be stirred up again. A spirit of fear and timidity was attacking him, and he was reluctant about facing more suffering associated with ministry. Last week, we looked briefly at verse 8 where Paul said to him, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel that the gospel not only gives eternal life and abundant life and all these things that we are so blessed to richly enjoy, but if you live it and you proclaim it right, you will suffer because of it, especially if you are a leader. And Timothy said, I'm tired of suffering. I want to give up. And many ministers, including myself, have felt this way at times. In fact, 
approximately 250 pastors leave the ministry each month. 250 pastors leave the ministry. Some retire because of age, health, but many, many, many retire or leave the pastorate, leave the ministry because of the stress associated with ministry. Many pastors and ministers struggle with depression, myself included at times, have had bouts with depression. The spiritual warfare is real. And knowing Timothy's proclivity and desire to quit, Paul had to admonish him. Because that's what this letter is about. Within this, the pages of these four chapters, we find encouragement from Paul to Timothy, as well as admonishment from Paul to Timothy. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 13 today. Timothy wanted to throw in the towel. Paul threw it back at him and said, wipe your face. Verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. I call your attention to verse 14 where Paul says that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit, keep by the Holy Spirit. That word keep actually means guard, guard, protect what God has given you, what, what the Lord has entrusted to you, what he's committed to you. I want you to keep, Timothy. I want you to guard. As a matter of fact, when Paul is writing this, he writes it in the aorist imperis tense, the aorist imperative tense. And that is a tense that speaks of pointed action that happens, but it's also a command. In other words, Paul is saying, you are ordered to do this, Timothy, and to keep doing it. What are you ordered to do, Timothy? You are ordered to keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you what God has committed to you. You are ordered, you are commanded to keep, to guard what God has given you. So I know you want to give up. I know you're ready to give out. I know you're ready to walk out. But I, as your spiritual father, I am commanding you in the name of Jesus to guard what God has given you and to keep on doing it. That's a good pastor. That's a good father. That's a good leader. That's a good mother. That when a kid comes home saying, I don't know if I can make it in school. I don't know if I can make it on this level in college. And rather than just patting on the back, you kind of kick a little bit in the behind saying, come on, wipe your face, get going, let's go. You can do this. And you speak life to your children, even if it's not what they want to hear, but it's what they need to hear. Because if they start quitting now, they'll quit all through life. So a good leader, they know how to spur you on towards love and good deeds. Hang in there. Let me fan into flame that fire that you used to have that has gone out because of fear and intimidation. Let me fan it. Let me help you fan it back into flame. There's work to be done. Get back in that ring Timothy. So let's call this message today, guard what God gave you. Guard what God gave you. And Timothy's not the only one that God committed something to. We're all here today because God's committed something to us. And I'm going to prove today that the thing or the things that God has committed to you to guard and to keep, there is a real enemy that wants to take it from you. 
There's a real devil that wants to steal from you what God has called you to do, what God has equipped you to do, what God has empowered you to do. Not only is there an enemy, there are circumstances that want to stop you from being what God has called you to be, to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. But I come along and I say to you, guard what God gave you. Timothy, put your guards up. I know you've been taking some punches, but homeboy, it's time for you to give some punches. Being Christian doesn't mean you just put your hands down and let people just pulverize you. No, 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 no. We're going to flip the script today because Paul is going to really encourage Timothy to be spiritually aggressive, to not be spiritually passive, to be intentional about fighting in this battle that's already been won, won by Jesus Christ. So stop thinking like a loser Start thinking like a conqueror and throw some punches, Timothy. Oh, my. Look at verse 13. He says to him, hold fast. Hold fast. That means to retain. What am I holding fast or retaining? Paul says, the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. In other words, when I was discipling you, when I was mentoring you, when we were doing missions and Timothy accompanied Paul on multiple missionary journeys and Timothy was watching what Paul was doing, but he was also listening to what Paul was teaching. Paul was mentoring and discipling Timothy and he's saying to him, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. He says that again in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, and the things that you have heard from me. Because in discipleship, we have things that are caught and things that are taught. In discipleship, I'm watching you and I'm listening to you. And so Paul not only lived it with his life, he expressed the gospel with his lips. Did not your hearts get stirred when Elder Aubrey just preached the gospel to the Christians, to the body of Christ today, about the good news of God's love for us and how Jesus died and was buried and rose again for us? That is the gospel. That's the foundation of our faith. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you remember the things that I said to you. Hold fast. Why? Because you're tempted to let this stuff go. You're tempted to throw in the towel and throw in these words that I've said. But no, hold fast, retain, don't let go these words. And he says they're sound words. The word sound is where we get the word hygiene from in the English language. Hygiene speaks of being healthy when you're hygienic. Your life is balanced with what you eat your cleanliness, what you wear, you're hygienic. And so this word sound speaks of healthy, balanced words. Words is lagos, words, doctrine, teaching. So he says, you remember what I taught you, the healthy, sound doctrine that I gave you, not only with my life, but also with my lips. Retain, hold fast to this, Timothy, and do it in faith and in love, which are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I'm saying to this generation, and I'm saying to the one in which we live, don't change your doctrine when tempted with cultural compromise. Don't change your doctrine. Remember what I taught you. Don't make stuff up. Don't, don't say what sounds good but ain't right. Don't say stuff that other people are saying when God hasn't said it or your spiritual mentor who's an apostle didn't say it, retain, hold on to sound words. Because if you're going to make it in this fight, 
You got to know the word of God, Timothy. So hold fast to the word of God. And that's why over in chapter four, he's going to say to his young protege, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. But you can't preach what you're not holding on to. You can't preach what you don't believe or what you're not living. Preach the word, exclamation point, Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now, this word is not just for pastors. This word is for believers. This word is for, oh, the light said amen. The, the walls said amen. Thank you, lights and walls. It's not just for pastors. It's for Christians, people who follow Jesus. You stand on the word and not on what you think. This is the truth, which many times will contradict people when they speak their truth. Because this culture today encourages people. Spiritual gifting and your calling and work in the ministry. And all of us have been given a deposit from God. I'll hit that in a moment. We all have at least one spiritual gift. And we all have a calling and a purpose. Even if we work in the so-called secular arena, and I say so-called because for Christians, everything is sacred. There's really no divide between sacred and secular. For a Christian, you don't have to be a pastor to be a minister in the banking world. You don't have to be a pastor to be a minister in the world of education. You don't have to be a pastor to be a minister in the world of athletics and communications and on and on. You're God's minister in those places. There's a calling on your life, not just to make money, get a house, a picket fence, 2.5 kids and a dog and die. There's more to your life. And God wants you to bring him glory in your life, wherever you are, no matter what arena I am in, you are in, to live is Christ. To live is not Chris. But when I'm living like it's Chris, oh my God, that's when we got a mess. And we got to quickly repent and get out of that. To live is Christ. To die is gain. So, so Timothy had this deposit in him. And again, in the world of finance, when you make a deposit, you're placing money into a bank and you are expecting it to gain some interest. Am I right, Brother Ben? You, when, when you put it in, you want it to gain some interest. You want a return on your investment. So you're putting it somewhere that is going to grow, that is going to multiply. God put something in us that he expects to grow and to multiply. He's expecting a return on his investment of what he's given to us. So if he's given you two talents, he wants us to turn it into four. If he's given us five talents, he expects us to turn it into ten. If he's given us one, he wants us to turn it into two. Just don't sit on what God gave you. Come on, Timothy. Let's go, brother. There's a fight to go. He put something in you, my man. And every is a good gift. Every deposit or investment is a good deposit. That's why he says it's a good thing 
James chapter 1, verse 17, because somebody said, I don't believe you. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift comes from God. So when God deposits these gifts in you, these spiritual gifts, these natural gifts, when he deposits a calling and a purpose into your life, it comes from him and it's good. But why do we need to guard it if it's so good? (laughs) That's why you need to guard it, because it's that good. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief, Jesus said, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus just gives us Satan's job description. He's coming to kill. He's coming to steal. He's coming to destroy. And if you don't want to think this way, again, you're leaning more on your own understanding than walking in the spirit, walking with the spirit, depending on God. You're more worldly minded than spiritually minded. We don't blame the devil for everything. A lot of it is us when we're struggling. But the devil is real. And he tries to fulfill his job description with each and every one of us, especially to steal the good things that God has given to us. When God gives you a calling on your life, that's a good thing. He's coming to try to steal it. When God's put a spiritual gift in your life, that's a good thing. He's coming to try to wreck and destroy your use of that spiritual gift. He wants you to cower in fear and inactivity, therefore being ineffective for the kingdom. So so I'm here to tell you today, that good deposit God put in you, he wants a return on the investment. He expects for it to grow and multiply. And when good things happen, the devil's coming. You just accept it. That's just the way that it is as far as how life is. When God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, The Bible says when he created this, that, and the other, everything was good. And then on the final day after creating man and woman, he says it's very good. But chapter 3, the devil shows up. And his goal was to kill, steal, and destroy. And he took from Adam and Eve. He destroyed what God had given them. He he deceived them. And what was good ended up becoming something that was very hard and discouraging. So the serpent, he showed up to fulfill his mission statement. Adam and Eve did not guard the good things that God gave them. But Adam in particular was spiritually passive when he should have been spiritually passive aggressive. Oh yeah, I said something right there. He was spiritually passive. Pastor, what do you mean? Because when the serpent comes in to the garden, their home, questioning the word of God, having this conversation with Eve, the Bible says that Adam was standing right there, but homeboy was silent. He did not walk in the authority that God had given him as a man created in the image of God. Instead, he sat passive on the side and he let the devil come into his garden, into his home with a bunch of lies. And he should have went and stood beside his woman and together they should have resisted the devil so that he would flee. But instead, he stood off in the back watching. And too many men today are watching. 
the devil just run rampant in their homes. They're just standing by watching, silent, passive, rather than being spiritually aggressive. I did not say spiritually abusive, because we got a lot of nuts out here who are spiritually abusive, calling it spiritual aggression. No, that's why you got to have discernment. But we got to recognize the spiritual warfare Paul did, and he admonished Timothy, man, you got to step your game up. You got to guard. You got to keep. Man, man, come on now. Paul would use a lot of images of fighting and boxing and war in his writings because he knew that this thing, man, it was a battle. So what was that good thing that God gave to Timothy? That good deposit, man, his gifting and his ministry. But people are trying to take it from you. The devil is trying to take Man, you got to guard it. You got to keep it. Don't let it go. So let me ask you, what's that good thing that God gave to you? What's that calling on your life? I'm telling you, whatever it is, you got to guard it. Because the enemy wants to take it. He wants to steal it. He wants to destroy your effectiveness. So I'm here to say to you what Paul said to Timothy before I close. He said, keep what God has given you in verse 14 or guard what God gave you. Guard your gifting. Some of us have speaking gifts. Some of us have serving gifts. Some of us operate in the sign gifts. Whatever your gifting is, guard it. Because God gave you that gift that he might be glorified, that the body might be edified, and that the devil might be horrified. He gave you that gift. Whatever your gift is, he gave it that he might be glorified, his people edified, and the devil horrified. But the devil said, I don't want to be horrified, so let me try to take what God has given. I, I can't take the Holy Spirit from them, but let me ruin their experience with God, destroy their effectiveness in God. Let me uh, steal their testimony. Let me sidetrack them. Let me shipwreck them. Let me get them so into compromise that they no longer have conviction to stand. And so he's crafty like that. But you got to guard your gift. You got to use your gift. Is it mercy? Use it. Is it hospitality? Use it. Is it administration? Use it. Is it prophecy? Preaching? Use it. Is it creative communication? Use it. Is it evangelism? Use it. Is it giving? Use it. Is it discernment? Use it. Whatever gift he's given you, use it. And the thing that COVID has done to the church, I know everybody can't come back. I get that. But there are some people who can come back and who should come back, but they are content, or should I say complacent, to just sit at home. Well, when we jump off in January with all of our ministries cooking again, we're going to need the gifts in the body. Because he saved you that you might serve him. <laughs> he didn't save you so you could sit. <laughs> You got work to do. And that's how we grow when we work, when we serve, when we give. Man, that's how we grow. So guard your gift, man. But some of us say, I don't even know my gift. Hmm. We got a spiritual gift test on the church's website. You can start there. Or then you can go to an older saint in the Lord that know you've been watching you. And they can tell you many times what your gift is. I see this in you. And a lot of times I'm like, no, you don't see that in me. Uh, I see this in you. <laughs> I got to mess with my son. 
I got to mess with my son. When my son was uh, in college, you know, like a lot of us, trying to figure out, you know, what am I supposed to do? What? I noticed that God had put his hand on my son where he was influential with children. He was just good with kids. Kids are just drawn to him. He had this ability, man, to, with kids. But that's not what he wanted to do. He, he was running from that. Again, I wasn't trying to be Holy Ghost Junior. I was just saying what I see as his father. <laughs> Homeboy said, I want to go into the business world. Okay, all right. I want to work in the, I want to make money with Chick-fil-A. I want to do this with Chick-fil-A. I want Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. And in Chick-fil-A, that gift is still working in Chick-fil-A. People drawn to him, kids coming up to him. I mean, but God started closing doors to this desire with Chick-fil-A. Like, no, let me close this because you keep knocking on that door. Let me, let me bolt this door so you don't go through that door. Man, I got to hurt your feelings on this one because you keep running after it. They're going to let you down with it. They're not a bad company, but they're not good for you. And then he's just in this place like, okay, I guess it's not Chick-fil-A. Well, guess what that boy doing now? Teaching first grade students. And he loves it. <laughs> I remember when he was over our house doing some of the early parts of the pandemic and he's teaching kids online. It's already hard enough to teach a class of first graders. But when you're teaching them online, can any of the teachers just say a little bit of amen? Just say A if you can't say amen. It's tough online. And the young ones, and I'm watching my boy keep their attention. He's thinking on his feet. He's being goofy one minute. He's being serious the next. He's calling them by their name. He's sticking to the lesson plan. Man, he's doing it. And I said, look at God. Because I also told him, I said, boy, you can write your own meal ticket. A black man teaching today? Boy, you better stay in there. But anyway, but, but, but man. <laughs> Thank you, son, for letting me use you. Uh, uh, guard your gifting, y'all. Guard, there's something on your life. There's someone in you. Oh, oh, guard your calling, your assignment, that thing you were appointed to do. Paul says, I was appointed to be a preacher, a teacher, and a pop. What are you appointed to do? I know Dr. Mona is appointed to teach young minds. If you've ever been in one of her classrooms, one of her, she's so good at teaching. Her calling is connected to her gifting. And she gets people to think about different perspectives and views. And, and she's so good at what's your calling? What's your purpose? What's your assignment? There's something you can do that nobody else can do. Don't try to do something that somebody else is doing. They're already doing it. Do what God's called you to do. No matter how big or how small it is. Because if you let Paul tell it, the greatest gifts in the body are not the ones on stages. It's the one behind the stage, under the stage, next to the stage, serving. Those are the best gifts. So don't you put down what you're doing. If God has called you to be a servant, my God, I got to get going. Guard your ministry because the devil's going to try to steal it. Guard your church because the devil's going to try to steal it. My God. Guard your personality type. God made you a certain way. You don't have to apologize for how he made you. Your personality is to question everything. You get on some folk nerve with that. But we need that kind of person that questions stuff. They're just not trying to be sarcastic or, or be a pain. They really are trying to figure it out so they can break it down and make it practical. So sometimes you need people to agitate and not just people who always celebrate. They're celebrating everything. Stuff wrong. No, we need some agitation up in here because we got to fix some stuff. 
God says, I need that personality in this company and in this church, in this family. What's your personality? Maybe you are outspoken where someone else is more quiet. The one who's outspoken is not better than the one who's quiet. Uh, the one who is uh, uh, an introvert is not less than one that's an extrovert. He made you that way. There's a reason he, and, and a lot of times we feel the pressure to be something else. And God is saying, man, guard the way I made you. Guard your culture. Thank you, Dorena, for writing this book. One of the burdens of Charles and Susan Robinson, our indigenous folks here in this body, is what Western culture has done to their people. What Western culture has done to their culture how they were told to cut their hair and take off their face paint and to stop dancing before the creator. And they were put into these boarding schools and they were basically told to act white or European. I watched some of the Colin Kaepernick movie yesterday and he was told to cut his hair, to take the braids out, something that was akin to his culture. But there were others outside the culture who didn't understand the culture, who said that normalcy looks like a white guy with his hair just over his ear. So if you've got braids, cut it because you don't look professional. Who determines what's professional? There are things in my culture. I'm just not wearing dreads. Dreads have been a part of my culture. So, man, I got to guard my culture because when I guard my culture, that's part of guarding me. Guard your cultural expression. Guard your spouse if you're married, if you're married. If you may guard your spouse. Husbands, guard your wives. Wives, guard your husband. <laughs> when we first moved here, I was working at a metal shop in 1992, working at a metal shop. And I'm around all these folk, and, and I'm being a little over the top with my witness. I, I have to confess, straight out of a Baptist seminary, you know, we, we, we basically telling everybody they need to repent or they're going to hell. And I'm wearing my Christian T-shirts, playing my Christian music all loud. Again, it, it, nothing wrong with being a witness, but I, I, I was a little too much with it. I was a little too much with it. Uh, uh, and so <laughs> this one guy comes to me one day. Because every conversation, I'm telling people about Jesus. And so people don't want to come talk to me. But, I, but I'm thinking I'm suffering for the Lord. No, you're not suffering for the Lord. You're not being a wise minister. You're being overly religious had an old preacher come to me who worked there. He had a limp. He limped up to me. He said, young man, are you familiar with Ecclesiastes chapter 7? There's a verse in there. And he gave me the verse. I think it's verse 19. And the verse says something to the effect of, do not be overly righteous. Do not be overly wicked. Why destroy yourself? See, I grew up here in the overly wicked part. I didn't grow up here in the overly righteous part. He was saying, homeboy, you're being overly righteous. Up here. We all know you're a Christian. We all know you love Jesus. But here's how God brought me down to earth to walk this thing out for real. Because one of the dudes in my section where we work, he would see Darina drop me off and pick me up because we had one car. And so this dude, his name was Joe. And Joe said, man, I'm going to take your wife. He said, I'm going to take your wife. And he sounded just like that. Man, I'm going to take your wife. Looked like a cricket in the face. Said, man, I'm going to take your wife. Now, remember now, I've been overly religious up in that joint. But now, I'm 
ready to tighten Joe up. I'm ready to take Joe outside. I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to do what I got to do to Joe. So, so, you know, I was filled with the spirit, but I sprung a leak. You know, I'm overly religious, but, but he hit that nerve. So I say to Joe after, you know, getting the spirit catches me. I say to Joe, go ahead and try, man. You want to take my wife? Go try. She's right out there. When she comes to pick me up today, go try to take my wife. Man, you know, man, like, man, like, man. <laughs> he couldn't go through with what he was going to try to do. And maybe God knew my wife couldn't handle that temptation and she would have succumbed and fell to that. This cricket face looking brother. Uh, <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm crazy. But you got to guard your spouse. You got to guard your family. You got to guard your family. You got to guard your home because it's a good thing, a good deposit God's given you. Nehemiah 4.14, he says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So you got to fight. You got to fight. You got to guard your career. You got to guard your finances. You got to guard your mental health. You got to guard your physical health. You got to guard your future because God came to give us a hope and a future. So you got to guard it because the enemy wants to steal your future. And if he can get you to fall the way Esau fell, I'm going to trade my birthright and my blessing for some soup for the temporal. I'll sell my future for now. Then he gets us. But guard your future. Guard your joy. Guard your peace. Guard your contentment. Whatever it is, God is commanding you to guard it, to guard it. You know, famous people have bodyguards with them all the time. Um, and the more famous they are, the more bodyguards they have. Uh, when you go to a mall, Green Hills Mall, for instance, they have two kinds of guards in, in the mall. You got the mall cops, and people don't really respect them because they have flashlights. And, you know, they only have a walkie-talkie. Their pants are usually high waters and all that kind of stuff. People don't respect them. They tell you to do something. You're like, man, you know, that was in my old days. But uh, they tell you to do something. But when you go in some stores, they have guards. And those guards are carrying more than a flashlight. Like when you go into Tiffany and Company, when you go into Louis Vuitton and Gucci, they got people on the inside. And I guarantee you those aren't mall cops that's in there. They have hardware with them because what's in there is valuable and precious, and they're not going to let anybody steal it. There was a news story a couple of weeks ago about some kids that robbed a mall in Chicago and ran out of a Gucci store with a bunch of bags and things like that. I guess there wasn't a guard there. So the guard is there to protect what's there because there's something valuable in the store. So when Paul tells Timothy, guard what God has given you, it's not something he's got to do in and of his own strength. Because Paul goes on to say, guard by the Holy Spirit who is with you. So, so, so you've got someone with you and in you who can protect you and protect what God has invested in you. You don't need a bodyguard. You've got the Holy God who lives inside of you 
So Timothy, walk like you are a winner. Fight like you are someone who's more than a conqueror. And man, be spiritually aggressive for a change. If you've ever seen the movie uh, uh, War Room, Priscilla Shira's character, she goes from being passive to being aggressive. She's tired of getting stepped on, beat up by the enemy. She's losing her husband, losing her family, losing her mind. But Sister Clara says, have you been into the prayer closet? And Sister Clara invites her, you need to start a prayer closet, a war room in your own house, and you need to start taking back what the devil is trying to steal. You need to start interceding. You need to start praying. You need to start crying out. And this reluctant character starts a war room, and she starts praying and praying, and the more she prays, the bolder she gets. She sees God answering her prayer, and then the devil came back against the family to try to stifle her, but she came right back. And one day, she's in this scene where she walks out into the kitchen, and she's praying out loud, and she's talking to the enemy, saying, you cannot have my house. You cannot have my man. I mean, she is being aggressive spiritually. She's guarding what God gave. She walks outside and keeps praying. And she's talking to God. She's rebuking the devil. She's resisting the enemy. Oh, you haven't been in a fight until you started praying like this. Because you know when he's trying to take what God gave you. So she, she prays. She goes back in the house. Then she comes back out again and says, and another thing. And she keeps on going. I just want to encourage you, man. Fight for what God gave you. Don't lose it. Retain it. Guard it. All of my daughters were cheerleaders, all three of them. And every now and then I learned some of the cheers they cheer because they do them so much around the house and at the games, basketball games, football games. They're doing their cheers. Krista, Chase, and Karis. And they had this one cheer that I learned. And I said, should I do it, Lord? I don't know if the Lord said don't do it or if I said don't do it, but here I am, I'm out here now. Because I want to close this message in a way that you could take something with you. But they had a chair called Be Aggressive. No, I can't do it. Be. They would say, Be Aggressive. B E Aggressive. B E A G G R E S S I. I can't even say it that fast. Be Aggressive. Does anybody remember that chill? Man, you're struggling on the side, you know, then I'm chilling. They start doing that thing. Be aggressive. Then you start saying, oh, yeah, let me. The Holy Ghost is saying, be aggressive. Stop being passive. Guard what God gave you. Don't lose it. May retain it. Grow in it. Use it for the glory of God. Be aggressive, Christian. He gave you a hard head, a head like flint, but a heart like flesh. Be aggressive. Father God, thank you for how Timothy was encouraged and admonished by Paul. Keep fighting. Hold on to those words. Guard what the Holy Spirit deposited in you. Lord, we need that today because the closer we get to your return as we're crying out Maranatha, the harder it will be to hold on to good words, the word of God, and start talking about what I think and what I feel. It'll be harder as we get closer to your return and it will be harder to guard the calling and the gifts you've put in our lives and on our lives. But we thank you for this word to refresh us, to renew us, to recharge us. 
to get us motivated, to realize we're not here by accident. We are here by providence. And there's something you put in us and there's something you have for each and every one of us. Show us all, Lord, what that is. If we don't know, Lord, may we ask you. If we don't have a relationship with you, may it begin right there saying, Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And if you need to pray that, you pray that right now. And he'll save you for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And for those of us who are saved, know your gift. Use your gift. Grow that investment. Stay in your calling and your purpose. Don't let the enemy punk you. Don't let uh, people who want to take away from your calling punk you. Stand strong as you stand humble. In Jesus' name, amen. Did I get through? I just want to know if I got through. Did I get through? I tried, Lord. I tried. I tried. All right, now. Who's supposed to come after me? All right, Brother Jonathan. Pastor, do you have uh, security at home after that story? Security at home? Yeah. I was, I'm kind of worried about you. But why I need security at home? Uh, how you just put Lady Darina out there? I just didn't, you know, I just wanted to know, wanted to make sure you are right. Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm Somebody good. check up on me. I got tonight. Lulu, you know, so I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> 